Starting in Genesis 37, we see the story of Joseph, who is the 11th son of Jacob, who is now named Israel. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. The brothers hate Joseph because his father loves him more than anybody else, and he makes him a coat of many colors. They see Joseph coming, and his brothers put him in a pit. But some Ishmaelites are coming along at just that same time. This is not accidental, planned by God. They sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites bring Joseph down into Egypt. Pontifer, who's the captain of the guard, buys Joseph. But when he sees that God makes everything prosper that Joseph touches, he makes him in charge of his entire house. Pontifer's wife sets her eyes on Joseph and wants to have sex with him. Joseph said, How can I do such wickedness against God? And it is a wickedness against God. He flees from her, and he leaves his garment in her hands. She lies and tells the men servants that this Hebrew has tried to have sex with her. She tells her husband, this Hebrew you brought into our house tries to have sex with me. He becomes furious. He takes Joseph and puts him in the dungeon in the prison. Joseph is falsely accused. But God makes everything prosper, even when your enemies falsely accuse you. Isaiah fifty-four seventeen: No weapon that's formed against thee will prosper. And every tongue that would rise against you, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Don't think for a second that weapon is going to prosper. A man became angry with me several years ago, and he turned me into IRS hoping that I would be penalized by IRS somehow. IRS found nothing wrong at all with the ministry statements nor with my personal tax statements. But the IRS agent said, you're not paying Social Security for yourself. And I told him, I said, no, at the time we started the ministry, we just didn't have enough money to pay me a salary or to pay Social Security. He said, well, would you like to buy back into it? I said, yes, I would. He said, well, it will cost you $8,000 taxes to buy back into it. 
I had the money at that time. So I bought back into Social Security. This was when I was in my early 60s. A few years later, I fell and broke a hip. If I had not had that Social Security, the hospital bills would have been unpayable and would have completely taken every penny that the ministry had, that I had, that my mother had. But because I was turned into IRS by this enemy, I now had Social Security and everything was covered in the hospitalization by the Social Security insurance. The man meant evil toward me, but God turned it for good, and it benefited me. And I also got monthly payments from Social Security every month after I was 62. At that time, it was 62. So I had an income. I stopped taking a salary from the ministry and just lived off my Social Security income. Everything worked to good. That's the way it does for us. The pattern is Joseph. He is one of our patterns. Everything he touched prospered even in prison. In Genesis 42, we have the story of the children of Israel coming down into Egypt the first trip to buy corn. There was a famine over the entire earth. The corn was in Egypt because Pharaoh had two dreams. Joseph interpreted the dreams. Pharaoh said, well, no one's as wise as you are. You have the Spirit of God. I'm going to put you in charge. So Joseph ended up being second in charge. Only Pharaoh was above him. He was 30 years old at that time. He was 17 years old when his brothers sold him into slavery. When he went into Egypt as a 17-year-old boy, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, except he had the favor of God, who made everything he touched prosper. And God made a way for him to rise to second for the entire country of Egypt, second to Pharaoh. We're the same way. We who are chosen by God, they may mean evil against us, but you see, we'll come out on top every time. We win through God because he always makes us to come out on top. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today. When I had the idea of starting this project of putting various classical music compositions at the end of the podcast, the reason I wanted to do that is if you select properly Classical music is so joyful. 
it's just incredibly strong and powerful. And it's like, we win, we win, we win. And it's very uplifting. There are compositions that feel like you're being taken into heaven even. But it's that joy in classical music. So I knew I was going to be able to find many classical music compositions to put on the podcast. The question was going to be, what does God want me to do? So I asked him, I asked him, what about this? And what I heard was, whatsoever you do will prosper. I felt I had confirmation on the project. Just as a way of introduction here, there's such a difference between classical music and popular music. Popular music usually has words, and often they provoke you to memories that are not scriptural. I'm sort of a fan of Patsy Cline. Her voice is so interesting. And I have one of her recordings, but I can't play it very much because the words are so down or depressing. The instrumentalists are wonderful, but the words themselves are not uplifting usually. And that's the problem with popular music. Judy Garland, people of my generation. Tony Bennett recently died, and he did that I Left My Heart in San Francisco. I have a particularly affinity for San Francisco. Anyway, there's so much emotion attached to music. And with most of you, you probably won't have any negative emotions attached to classical music. It's pure sound. Now, I have negative emotions attached to classical music. For so many of my friends were classical musicians and true artists, and they're dead. I don't, can't think of any that are still living. So I have to fight through these things. My very best friend was a born-again Christian, and we used to laugh and have a good time. At her house, she had three grand pianos, and Donna would, (laughs) she did church music like the pianist would be a Presbyterian pianist, and she imitated the way she'd sit, the way she played, and the way she looked in her face, and then she'd switch to Methodist, and then she'd switch to Baptist, and when she did Baptist, she just bounced all over the piano bench, smiled, and her hair was bouncing, and it was just, I've seen it in churches many times. But anyhow, um, I, I have to fight through hymns, even, because I think of Donna, who's dead. She's, she's dead now. But classical music is pure sound. One of my very best friends was a bassoonist. And Jimmy, I think, is dead. I've never been able to find him. And I think of him when I hear bassoon. My teacher's son was a famous cellist, Lynn Harold. And Lynn is dead. 
We went to New York one time together, uh, Marjorie, my teacher, and uh, she was a violinist, and her son, Lynn, who became very famous as a cellist. And some of the compositions that I hear, I know Lynn was first cellist in the orchestra. So there's emotion attached to it that way. But most of you won't have that. I, I really have to fight through music. But most of you won't have that. I'm getting over the problem to a certain degree. I've been listening so, so much lately. But it's the joy, the sound of what you're going to hear that we present has such strong joy and such strong winning, which is what we should do as Christians, win through God. Everything should be victorious, everything. Problems arise and they're taken care of through prayer and they should be victorious. So I see the power of music, instrumental music, of classical music that way. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is called the Choral Symphony, and the last movement is a chorus, but uh, it's in German. <laughs> so unless you can speak German, you won't have a problem. But it's called Ode to Joy. That's just a little introduction. Today we're going to continue with what we had yesterday. Yesterday we played the first movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Today we'll play the second movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. So stay tuned if you prefer doing so. <laughs> 